This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. As WQXR embarks on a 10-day Bach 360 festival, it's impossible to talk about performances of Johann Sebastian Bach without considering the early music movement. For half a century, period instrument ensembles have been trying to rediscover how music of earlier eras might have sounded on original instruments and using early performance practices. Even though Bach stands at the center of the early music movement, his music has also been championed by everybody from mandolin players and jazz saxophonists to rockers and DJs. Not to mention major orchestras, some of them have recently returned to Bach with a vengeance, which raises questions about the state of the early music movement. To consider this, I am joined by James Astrike, the consulting classical music editor and a freelance writer for the New York Times, Monica Huggett, a leading Baroque violinist and conductor, and Simona Dinnerstein, a pianist who has made a number of Bach recordings. Her latest is called Night, with the singer-songwriter Tift Merritt. Jim, I'm going to start with you, if I may call you Jim. Sure. The New York Philharmonic has devoted pretty much this month of March 2013 to Bach, which Alan Gilbert has described as a sort of a reclamation effort, taking back Bach. The Philadelphia Orchestra is also revisiting Bach. They're planning to record the old Leopold Stokowski transcriptions. Is this a backlash, do you think, against the early music movement? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think there's any excuse needed to perform Bach. The Philharmonic is making perhaps a little too much of the idea that they're reclaiming Bach because they had a conductor named Kurt Mazur in the 1990s who did a lot of Bach. Uh, he did two great St. Matthew Passions, for one of which he brought over the Tomaner Chor, the chorus from Bach's church in Leipzig. Uh, he did a B minor mass. He did, he did a number of Bach things. So I, I think it's wonderful what the Philharmonic is doing, but they may be laying a little too much claim on originality with it. Monica, you have pretty much devoted your career to authentic early performance practice. What is your reaction to big orchestras playing Bach? Oh, I think they're panicking. (laughs) In London, where I lived for most of my career, in the end, the big orchestras stopped playing Bach because there was so much good historical performance that they really didn't need to do it anymore and people didn't really want to hear it anymore. So, you know, it's my maybe rather partisan view is that this is a little bit of panic on the part of the symphony orchestras. Why panic? They might feel that uh, they're going to lose a whole big chunk of their repertoire, which, you know, to a certain extent, I think they should. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that using what we think are the right instruments brings much more to the music. The only drawback with earlier instruments is that we can't play in such big halls. We can't play in two and a half thousand seaters. Or we can, but we're rather distant. But, you know, I think if you're doing the B minor mass or Matthew Passion, the sort of colors that you get and the uh, the vividness, the almost theatrical or operatic way that we have come now to approach Bach, it's more exciting, it's much more dramatic and grabs the listener, uh, you know, the sort of uh, helmet rilling type of Bach interpretation is really doesn't do justice to Bach. I think Jim, I ought to let some of the others say yes, something because uh, I think I've probably got a little radical here. <laughs> well, I want to ask Jim because you heard those Mazur. Yes, and she saw me squirming over here. <laughs> From uh, afar. <laughs> 
Uh, I wouldn't agree that the orchestras are panicking. I, I think they have lost their balance to some extent. I think they've lost confidence in the repertory to some extent. And I think it's important that they regain it. To uh, hold up the music scene in a world capital like London or New York and say that this should set our, our standards for who performs what, uh, I don't think is fair. I, there are many cities, and a city as large as Philadelphia, where I half-lived for eight years. If the Philadelphia Orchestra doesn't perform Bach, most Philadelphians are not going to hear Bach. There are some early music groups, not many, uh, and they have a certain following, not large, but I think Bach should be available to everyone, and I think orchestras should be playing it as well as everyone else. I'd like to hear now from Simona. You are sitting in another world music capital, Munich, right now, preparing to perform. You play Bach on a modern piano in a style that critics have called romantic, even Schubertian. Are you claiming or reclaiming Bach for the piano? Oh, no. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that word. I think that so many people have been playing Bach on the piano that I'm not doing anything unique by playing Bach on the piano. I think that I just have more omnivorous tastes, and I think that Bach sounds very interesting and different when played in many different ways on many different instruments with modern orchestras with on authentic instruments i think that the thing about his music that i find so particularly profound and all-encompassing is the fact that it can work in so many different ways you know i've heard jazz trios play bach and it has illuminated things in the music that I didn't hear when somebody played it on the piano, you know, or played it on a harpsichord. So I, I just think that the, the world contains many different points of view about Bach's music, and, and I find them all interesting. Well, has the early music movement influenced you in any way? Well, I, I would say that I find early instrument players to be particularly imaginative, and I find their playing in many ways a lot more daring than traditional players. But I think that their playing of the authentic players can be a lot more imaginative and interesting than a lot of sort of traditional players. But I find it interesting on an aesthetic level, and it doesn't interest me as much the reasoning behind it that's linked to historical performance practice. I just, I, I like the phrasing, I like how it sounds, I like the, the verve that a lot of them have in their playing, but I also hear a lot of passion and imagination <clears throat> when I hear Furt Fengler's recording of the St. Matthew Passion, you know, I... I well, let me just throw this out to everybody. We asked Daniel Berenboim about this, and he sent a message saying, the study of old instruments and historic performance practice has taught us a great deal, but I think that concerning oneself purely with historic performance practice and the attempt to reproduce the sound of older styles of music making is limiting and no indication of progress. I think that the Bach belongs to all of us. I mean, my reaction to the, the Philharmonic playing Bach is that I think that if you put a, a full symphony on Bach, then you should use something like the Webern ar arrangement of the six-part Richard But, you know, I, d I think that Bach's music stands up to almost any treatment because it's so complex. Um, it has so many levels, you know, mathematical, emotional. But what I'm saying is that I think that 
when you want to go to a performance of particularly things like St John Passion, St Matthew Passion, the Bach Cantatas, that you're going to get exactly what Simone said, a more vivid colour. It's almost operatic. We seem to put Bach in some kind of bubble, and it's like going to church. I mean, I've performed Bach a lot in Germany, and I always felt the audience attitude was, we're hearing Bach now, it's like we're going to church on Sunday. Actually, the Bach family were very religious, but they also liked to drink and have big parties where they sang in parts. I mean, they were they loved life, not just death. And I feel that the tradition of modern performance on, on modern instruments has taken away the life of the pro-life aspect of Johann Sebastian Bach. I mean, one other thing I'd like to add is that what I'd really like to see is the Philadelphia Orchestra and, and the New York Philharmonic, that some of those players take up old instruments. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Sure, they do. At Juilliard, I, they can play modern and Baroque. Okay, excuse me. Can I, can I just jump in here a moment? Because I'd like to sort of get back now to the whole idea of the early music movement. Jim, you spent over two decades writing for the New York Times, so you've really seen the early music movement grow and mature. How dominant is it in the field today? Well, I wouldn't say it's dominant in New York. It uh, certainly has grown, and in large part in recent years, because of the Juilliard Historical Performance Program, which, of course, Monica ran for uh, several years. There was a long time when people were thinking the answer was to bring in some charismatic figure from abroad to galvanize the field, and that was what was lacking in New York. I think what's happening now is that it's uh, it's more a grassroots movement. It's these young students getting out and playing in places like Trinity Church and, and other places, and it's really thriving at the moment. I'm going to, to uh, I, I didn't want anything I said before to indicate that I don't appreciate performances on period instruments and by period groups. I do. I'm going to hear the uh, St. Thomas uh, Church Choir here do the St. Matthew Passion this Thursday and the Trinity Choir do it next Sunday. And I eagerly uh, await those performances. Monica, there was a famous article in 1990 in the New York Times. The musicologist Richard Teruskin wrote that he thought it was impossible to imagine what concerts actually sounded like 200 years ago and that period instrument players were just reflecting modern assumptions about how the music should sound. What do you have to say to that? Oh, my. That's a very big field. Do you expect me to say that in one sentence? Oh, my. You haven't no, said just... anything in one sentence, so <laughs> go ahead and take a couple. <laughs> <laughs> what I have to say is that when I was growing up and I went to Royal Academy of Music, I felt that the parameters for being a violinist were very narrow. And I've spoken to Juilliard students, you know, people who've done the whole course and the Masters on Modern and, you know, the sort of sound, the sort of vibrato, the sort of phrasing that you can do to be a successful modern violinist is incredibly limited. The wonderful, wonderful, incredibly liberating thing about playing old instruments is here we are, this has never happened before, trying to put ourselves into the mindset of late 16th century, 17th century uh, Italians at the time of Monteverdi, um, Bieber, Bach, Handel, then, you know, Bach's sons going into Haydn. What was it like at Esterhazy? We have this incredibly interesting way of looking at music and trying to imagine it very vividly. You know, imagine the gypsies playing in the courtyard at Esterhazy and how that 
influenced Haydn and the way he wrote his string quartets. It makes the whole music business so much more exciting and uh, inspiring and bright, lively. So, excuse me, let me just know. It's nothing to do even with, you know, whether we're making it sound like it sounded in 18. in 1820 or 1720 or 1620 it's the way that it sparks our brains and makes us have so much more imagination it's so exciting well i, I think I yeah i was going to say simona nobody could accuse you of lack of imagination what's your reaction to that i think that the issue that i have with this is that period players as i said are incredibly imaginative and and as monica's saying in my opinion the tool that she is using and this this movement is using towards the imagination is looking at the music historically and that fuels an investigation into how to approach the music itself i think that it's possible to have all of these same sort of imaginative exploratory approaches to the music without the basis of it being history and you know if you listen to say the more kind of romantic performers like Myra Hess say i would doubt that Myra Hess had a very clear historical understanding about performance practice during Bach's time but her playing is incredibly imaginative because she was that type of musician who approached music without taking anything for granted i think the thing that that is stultifying in music is when people play according to hearsay and they and they don't think for themselves and I have this question for all of you composers were usually early adopters and given the sounds that we are able to make now would they think we were kind of nuts to be trying to recreate the sounds that they were making hundreds of years ago I mean I I think that Bach and and frankly all of those composers would be just amazed by the change in our society to begin with and the fact that their music was still being played i mean i, I i'm talking more about the physical instruments um, monica referred to modern day instruments as being limiting but i would think that bach would look at our piano and go wowza look at all the sounds i can make however you say wowza in german personally that's what i think to my ears i just feel like the difference between a piano and a harpsichord is just like technicolor you have to think of relationships that's what i think the relationships between the instruments yes the modern piano is an extraordinary machine and powerful but it's its relationship with other instruments i don't think bach would have ever written the violin and harpsichord sonatas for a modern violin and a modern piano i just don't think he would have because the relationship has become uneven I guess I so much love the piano and I so much love the harpsichord that I I don't uh, again see any reason to exclude anyone from from the musical conversation in Bach. It's absolutely true that something like the violin sonatas would not work as well with a piano. It doesn't mean they don't work at all and uh I think everybody should play Bach. <laughs> well, I mean I just played I just played one of those violin and <coughs> piano uh you know I'm saying violin and piano violin and harpsichord Bach sonatas um, with a theremin player, actually. Um, so, now, what would you know, Bach have said to the theremin? I personally think he would have been thrilled, but um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, from my point agree. of view, as someone who actually plays the old instruments all the time, if I go back to the modern violin, 
for me, it doesn't have colour. And it doesn't have the variety of articulation. You know, for me, it's very unsatisfying to play a modern setup. I find it, you know, although it makes more sound and it has more cutting, cut through, go further in a hall, loses so much intimacy. I mean, I didn't take up the Baroque violin because I'm interested in historical performance, to be honest. Somebody just put a violin in my hand and I played it and it's like, I love this sound. I love this sound. This is a sound I can really get into. Whereas the modern violin sound was, was to me, bland. So, it, you know, of course, everybody who plays an instrument all the time, that's the instrument that has their voice. But my emotional reaction to the Baroque violin was, was immediately, this is my voice. Simona, you have recorded Bach keyboard concertos with the Berlin State Orchestra. Could you see yourself doing Bach concertos with a period ensemble? Well, actually, the group that I played with from the Staatskapelle, they were a group that was used to using authentic performance practice. And, they, and the man who is the, the concert master of the orchestra, Stefan May, is one of the leaders of the Academy of Ancient Music in Berlin. So um, it was actually a very interesting experience working with them because I had to try to show them how I wanted them to play, which was kind of the diametric opposite to how they normally played Bach. It, it was a very interesting experience because they had the energy and the flow and the and the freedom in their playing, which I experience when listening to early music specialists. And then I just kind of had to convince them of a change of direction in terms of that energy. Uh, and at the end of it, Stefan May said that he felt that playing Bach with me felt like he was playing Bach with Clara Schumann, which <laughs> I thought was very funny. Um, have you ever played one of those pianos that uh, Johann Sebastian Bach would have played when he went to see Frederick the Great? I Actually, I have not, but I mean, uh, my understanding is that he really didn't like them very much, that they were quite primitive. Well, they are extraordinary, actually. I've played with one. They're not like the later Viennese pianos. They, they're actually a bigger sound. They just don't have any sustaining. Uh, but they're... The actual sound is surprisingly closer to a modern piano sound than the instruments that came 50 years later. So actually, those pianos, they have articulation, but they have a richness of sound. I mean, you could play the preludes and fugues on those pianos, and I think it would sound great. You mentioned Philadelphia, and of course, we've all, ever since Fantasia, grown up with the Stokowski Mm. arrangements of Bach, the famous Stokowski. Is Stokowskiized Bach Bach? Or is it a completely different animal, do you think? Oh, I think it's Bach. I, I don't have any problems with that. Uh, I think Simona said it earlier, that, but Bach is adaptable to almost any instrument. It's, it's remarkable how, how the, the music survives almost anything you do to it. And I am always curious when recordings come in on unusual instruments. I, I have to say that I passed on one that came in recently with the Goldberg variations played on the accordion. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't put it on, but but for the most part, I'm willing to listen to Bach uh, in anyone's hands. No Lady of Leipzig. <laughs> Monica, you served as director of Juilliard's early music program. You still teach at Juilliard. Uh, Simona mentioned the cross pollination in her recording with members of the orchestra that she recorded with. Would the regular Juilliard orchestra these days do Bach, or is that now completely the domain of Juilliard 415, the early instrument ensemble? I have no idea. (laughs) 
Is there any cross-pollination between the regular Juilliard Orchestra students who are studying in the regular Juilliard program and those who are studying in the early instrument program? I think there's tremendous amount of cross-pollination. And I, I feel that it's like osmosis. We're a very strong solution. We're sitting there in Juilliard and it's are seeping out into the rest of Juilliard and, and I think that the modern instrument students are often extremely interested and curious and wonder what's going on and you know should they know about it and we do have students who take um, period instruments as a second instrument option. I think um, it's, it is a very important part of Juilliard now because it's this new idea and it's working in that way of making people more curious. I have a question, Monica. Why is the historical performance uh, program at Juilliard confined to instrumentalists? Why not vocalists? Is is that a notion that you want to expand into, or is there a a reason to exclude vocalists from it? I think that the vocal department at Juilliard is very important and very powerful and has always been leaning towards producing opera, I think that the vocal department is gradually changing its emphasis. And I think that in 2014, there is going to be a St. Matthew Passion with Juilliard students as the soloists. Uh, And we do use the singers as soloists when we're doing Bach cantatas or Handel or Ramo. But I think that the vocal department is a very powerful influence at Juilliard, and it's a matter of gradually bending its emphasis. So I have a final question for everybody. The early music movement actually sort of started as a radical challenge to the established performing traditions. Has it now become establishment? And if you're establishment, then where do you go from here? Well, I I don't think it has become the establishment. It it has certainly been folded into the establishment to a large degree at this point. But I think there are still uh, a lot of fringes to be worked, and uh, I look forward to hearing them. Simona? As the non-establishment in the (laughs) early music performance field? I mean, I think that the issue I've had myself is that I don't really fit into either category very well in terms of obviously not early, not a period performance and also not a traditional approach to it. And my colleagues that I grew up with, um, playing with them, I felt that they were, they were felt somewhat terrified of playing Bach because they didn't know how to do it. They felt like there were all these kinds of rules coming at them from the early music tradition And at the same time, the sort of traditional classical approach was to play Bach uh, almost like a machine. And they just didn't know how to do it, and they felt that they had to follow one set of rules or another set of rules, and and where do they go with that? And I, I just worry about these movements that sort of take over. I I guess I just, I, I don't like, anything that makes you conform to something in particular. So, Monica? <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, I feel that uh, Simone has an attitude that comes to me from some of the modern students about, you know, what's the rule about this, what's the rule about that. Actually, the early music movement has not stopped developing, and we are still discovering an awful lot about how to perform. The idea that there's all these rules and that we stick to the rules, actually, that's very fluid at the moment. It's nothing like as rule-bound as you think. 
it's much more of how a musician with the instrument that he had with the bow and the strings and the pitch how he would react to the material that that composer gave him and that, that's a fairly new thing and gives much more scope for again the uh, performer interpreter and and to put their own stamp on it i think one of the things i feel about all these brilliant students who come out of Juilliard is that then they go into an orchestra and they have to spend the rest of their career not following their own internal voice. What I feel about when they play earlier music is there's much more room for their own voice. You know, these are people who are very intelligent and very gifted and work very hard, and it's great to be able to give them a vehicle where they can follow their own inspiration and um, interpretation. Well, rules or no rules, I think there's one thing we can all agree on, which is that Bach rules. Thank you all very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. Our guests have been New York Times writer James Astrike, violinist and conductor Monica Huggett, and pianist Simona Dinnerstein. Brian Weiss is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.